Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part one of episode 36 in the book of John entitled Jesus' High Priestly Prayer, where we discuss John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Okay, so we're going to finish looking at Jesus' high priestly prayer, and um, we saw some last time, and then uh, we're going to resume today. And uh, the prayer in John 17 is just an incredible uh, insight into the prayer life of Jesus. It's the longest prayer we have from Jesus, and it's rich with theological truth. Breaks into three parts. Jesus prays for himself, for his own glory. Uh, Jesus prays for his apostles, those that are immediately around him that night in the upper room. And then Jesus uh, prays for all believers throughout all time. It's really quite remarkable. So we're going to talk about the theological, the powerful aspects of how Jesus prays for us. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26 to get us started. Hmm. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Andy, right off the bat, how should Jesus' statement in verse 13, but now I am coming to you, affect our view of death or the end of life? Mm -hmm. Well, for us, we understand this world is not all there is. Jesus is unique in this regard. He's completely unique in that he alone, of all human beings that has ever lived, made a voluntary decision to enter the world. Mm -hmm. And then, by his own teaching, he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down freely of my own accord. He made a voluntary decision to leave this world. Mm. Um, and so, for us, we understand that when we as Christians leave this world, we are going to the Heavenly Father. We're going to be with God. We're going to the place Jesus has prepared for us. And so when Jesus says beautifully in verse 13, I am coming to you now, that's what death is for us. We are going to be with the Father. But that's only because of what Jesus did. Other than that, we would have to be apart from him. Like Jesus said, depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That would have been our righteous fate. But instead, because Jesus died on the cross for us, and rose again. When we die, we can say effectively the same thing. Mm -hmm. I am coming to you, Father, now. Wow. In verse 13, Jesus also says, these things I speak in the world. 
what is different about prayer he prays while still in the world mm -hmm. and those Jesus will pray when no longer in the world? Well, similar to in front of Lazarus's tomb when he's just about to raise Lazarus from the dead, I uh, said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing around me that they may believe that you sent me. I think it's the same thing here. He prays these things in front of them mm. so that they can uh, understand the kinds of things he prays. And so for me, I take this as a small sampling of what Jesus is doing for all of his people as he is the right hand of God interceding for us. As Hebrews 7 says in verse 25, Hebrews 7 says that Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. How does he intercede? What does he pray for? Well, this is an example of how he prays for us. Hmm. So at the end of verse 13 here then, what does it mean to have Christ's joy fulfilled in us? Mm -hmm. Well, we are called on, Philippians 4, 4 says, and I think five times in the book of Philippians, joy is mentioned, rejoice in the Lord always. Um, he says this so that their, their joy may be complete, that they might have the fullness of joy. And I think what it is, is that that even reminds me of Psalm 16, which says, in your presence is the fullness of joy, eternal pleasures at your right hand. God is the joy giver. Jesus is the joy giver. And so his prayer, just like all of his priestly ministry, his bloodshed on the cross, his resurrection, all of that is so that we may have joy and have it to the full. Um, and so, so also this prayer, uh, he's praying so that we would have the full measure of his joy within us, that, that his joy may be fulfilled. And what is that joy? It's just simply happiness, um, the uh, rich feeling of happiness, but based on the things that make Jesus happy. Mm. What is it that, that brings him delight? those spiritual things, the salvation of his people, the glory of God, being with the Father. Those are the things that bring Jesus joy. So he wants us to have the same kind of joy. That's great. A weighty, abiding joy, not something fleeting or temporary. Absolutely. So what's Jesus talking about in verse 14? How had Jesus given the disciples God's word? Mm -hmm. Why does the world hate them as a result of that? Yeah, so he delivered the word, and he says very clearly here in John's gospel, I didn't speak anything except what the Father told me to say. Mm -hmm. Everything I said, the Father gave me to say. I don't do anything on my own. I don't say anything on my own. So the Father gave to Jesus the words, and then he then delivered them. In this way, he is the perfect fulfillment of the office of prophet that Moses set up when, remember, when the people didn't want to hear the voice of God anymore, and they were terrified, and said, why don't you go up in the mountain and listen to God and hear what he has to say and come down and tell us what his words are. And God was delighted with that. Oh, that they might always fear me like they fear me right now. And that opened up the office of prophet. And Moses himself said that in the future, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your people. And Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the prophet, the one who stands in the presence of God, gets his words, and then goes and delivers those words to the people of God. Now, we get a very clear example of this in Revelation 1.1 where the book of Revelation, a very awesome book about the invisible spiritual realms and the future of the world and the, the devastations and plagues and destructions that are gonna come on the world and then the new heaven, new earth, all of that, book of Revelation. Well, the, the first verse, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel 
to his servant John. So there's like relay race of the book of Revelation. It starts with God the Father. Mm. It's given to Jesus, the Son. He gave it to an angel. The angel gave it to John, and John gave it to us. So that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So he said, I have given them the words you gave me, mm. and I've spoken them. Now, as a result of that word coming into the lives of the apostles, and he's talking about the apostles there in the upper room, the 12 that were chosen, but then by extension, all the true disciples. As they received and believed the word, and the centerpiece of that was concerning Jesus. Mm. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's the centerpiece. The world's going to hate you. The world's going to reject you. We've, we've seen this already in John 9. The, the Jewish leaders had already decided that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, he'd be put out of the synagogue, kicked out. Mm. And so therefore, the world hates true believers in Jesus because the world hated him first. And it all comes down to the word, what you do with the word. If you hear the gospel and you believe it the, and then live accordingly, the world will hate you. Mm. In verse 14 and again in verse 16, Jesus makes an amazing statement about his disciples when he says, they are not of the world, just mm -hmm. as I am not of the world. Mm -hmm. How should a Christian feel about living in the world? So here we must believe that the word world refers to the evil world system, not to planet Earth and its people, you know, created in the image of God, the human race descended from Adam, and created in the image of God. That use of the word world we see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But the other use of the word world is in 1 John 2 where he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Mm. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. Um, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God abides forever. Mm. So there's a clear contrast between the Christian who loves Jesus and who's filled with the Spirit of God and is seeking to do righteous things, and the surrounding world system, which is evil, corrupt to the core. So the of this world means they don't derive their origin out of an evil world system. They're not sons of the devil. Like Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. We're not like that. We're not characterized by devilish desires and devilish intentions, etc. We are not of the world system, the, the world didn't give birth to us any more than it gave birth to Jesus. So he's really saying we are like him in this world. We are separate, called out, holy and pure, and different than the world. That's what he's saying. That's helpful. Yeah. Rather than pray for his disciples to be taken out of the world then, mm -hmm. Jesus prays that the Father would keep them from the evil one. Mm. What does it mean for the Father to keep or protect us from the evil one? Yeah, this is an incredible thing. And just he said earlier, you know, righteous Father, you know, I protected them and kept them safe while I was in the world uh, by that name you gave me. And I kept them safe, but now I'm leaving and they're still in the world. Protect them. So all of us, I guarantee underestimates the danger that we're in here in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember um, seeing a video a number of years ago on the, the Boxer Day tsunami in the Indian Ocean, um, it was, you know, week after Christmas, something like that, I don't remember exactly when, but uh, I think 2004. And there was a video of some children playing on a beach um, before the tidal wave came. And it's hard to even watch. Um, I, don't, I don't think YouTube usually shows actual videos of people dying. And we don't know for sure that they died, but my goodness, a wall of water came in. And I remember looking at that and saying, you know, you get the feeling from Jesus' prayer that it's like that. Mm. There's a sense of overwhelming danger. 
And if you think about the power of holy angels, archangels, as depicted in the book of Daniel, and you know, there's this radiant, or in the book of Revelation, there's this mighty angel that puts his one foot in the land and one foot in the sea, and he's, his voice is like the roar of a lion. I'm like, wow. And then he has an evil counterpart, you know, demons and archangels that fell, you know. <clears throat> yeah, we're in the world. We're in great danger. Mm. And they're subtle. Their temptations are powerful. They could immediately kill us. They have the power to do that, but God won't let them. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of danger. And so he prays, Father, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from, from Satan. By the way, that is the right way to pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, where it says, um, deliver us from evil is the way we, we usually pray that. But it really is literally in the Greek, deliver us from the evil one. Hmm. So we should be praying and aware of Satan. Like Paul says, we're not unaware of his schemes. So he prays here for protection from Satan and under Satan, all of his demons and his people. You know, evil people where Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. There are evil people in this world. Protect them from all of that. And that's helpful to, to see Jesus as praying against an intelligent enemy so that right. we wouldn't underestimate the danger that we're in and also that we would look to him yeah. for our hope and salvation. By the way, this phrase, these, these verses we're discussing right now is exactly where you get that phrase, in the world but not of the world. Mm -hmm. So we are, you know, in the, we are surrounded. It's like the ocean and you're in a rowboat or some kind of thing. It's, it's nothing wrong being in the ocean, but there's something with the ocean being in your boat. So, you know, there's that image of how much worldliness do you take yeah. in yourself. And so there's just, there is a need for, for protection. And the more you meditate on this, the more amazing our salvation really seems. I realize now that I have been the focal point of 38 years of, of relentless attack by the world of flesh and the devil hmm. to the end that I would stop believing in Jesus. And yet I still believe in Jesus. So, and you too. Yeah. You, you may be a shorter length of time, but mm -hmm. every bit as much of, a, of an attack. And all the more, Wes, in that you and I have, have been set apart for vocational ministry. Mm -hmm. We are set apart for um, special temptations and, and assaults by the devil, and it's, it's difficult. Um, but the fact is, after all of the satanic efforts, all the schemes, all of the temptations, all of my own sins that I've committed and had to confess later, all of that, I'm still here, still mm -hmm. standing on Jesus. Yeah, that's beautiful. It reminds me of the passage you mentioned even earlier today in, in 2 Corinthians talking about the, the reason for that being that it would show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Amen. It's beautiful. So verse 17 mm -hmm. is another really well-known verse in sure. the book of John. Yeah. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your mm -hmm. word is truth. Mm -hmm. What does sanctify mean and how does truth sanctify us? Right. Well, in order to answer that, we have to look to two verses later. In verse 19, he says, Jesus says, For them I sanctify myself, mm. that they too may be truly sanctified. So here we need to go away from a, a more standard theological understanding of the word sanctify or sanctification. The word sanctification, when we speak of our salvation, generally means a progressive process of putting sin to death, death and becoming more and more conformed to Christ. Gradual turning away from habits of evil and sin to become more and more holy and pleasing to God. Mm. That is absolutely not happening for Jesus. Right. There was no evil, there was no habits, there was no progressive improvement, none of that. So then what does Jesus mean when he says, for their sakes I sanctify myself 
that they too may be truly sanctified. It means a different kind of use of the word sanctify, which means set apart as God's possession or holy unto God. So you think about uh, artifacts or, or uh, things, phys- implements maybe a better word, that were used in the animal sacrificial system with the tabernacle, and they were holy to the Lord. The incense was holy to the Lord. You couldn't use it for common purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, the anointing oil was holy to the Lord. Aaron couldn't mourn his sons, Nadab and Abihu, because he had the holy anointing oil on him. He had been set apart unto God as holy, his prized possession. So that's a different use of the word holy or sanctified. So here I think John 17, 17, he says, set them apart as your private possession, apart from the world, set them apart as holy Mm. by the word. That's what he's saying. So it is the word of God that sets us apart by the truth. Your word is truth. So the word sets us apart as unique and in God's possession, the truth is, and your word is truth. So that's the way I understand this statement. As as the truth comes into our lives, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So as Jesus and the, the scripture is truth, so we get both of these statements. Jesus is the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. Your word is truth. Not true. It is true, but it is truth. Mm. And and so there you get an absolute almost equivalency between Jesus and the word, which John does at the very beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the word. They're just equivalent. The Bible is as much truth as Jesus' truth. And it sets us apart as God's precious possession by speaking the truth to us. Yeah. That's so helpful, even seeing that, that it is the truth, not mm-hmm. just true. Though it is true, like you yeah. said, but it is truth. Yeah, and, and then contrary, uh, Satan has crafted a, a whole world of lies, mm. a, a, a whole system of lies, yeah. and we recognize them as lies. We yeah. see them as lies, and therefore we're separate from the world. We're not part of that lying world system. We see the truth. Mm. How does verse 18 then help explain verse 15? And in what way does Jesus send us out into the world? So we've talked about being in the world but not of the world, then being sanctified, and then here's verse 18. How does this help us understand? So um, the the apostles, and he's still in the section praying for the apostles, he's going to send them out um, as witnesses. They're going Mm -hmm. to go out into Satan's territory. Think in the book of Revelation, one of those cities, think Pergamum, he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Mm -hmm. So you're going out into enemy territory to rescue people out of Satan's clutches. You're going to get pounded. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to get killed by people who think they're serving God. These things are going to happen. I'm going to send you out in the world and you're going to be in great spiritual danger. So he's praying that God would protect them by the truth. That's good. Mm-hmm. You mentioned verse 19 a moment ago as we were discussing verse 17. Anything else that you'd like to say about that verse particularly? Well, he, he Jesus, is sanctifying himself unto God. He's saying to his Father, I am yours, do with me as you please. Mm. And the Father will say later this very evening, Gethsemane, here's a cup, drink it. Mm. And Jesus was willing to drink it. So he is set apart as God's. I belong to you. My life is yours to take if you wish. And he does will. And and for me to sanctify myself unto God for his purposes, namely by dying on the cross, I will enable these people Mm. to be truly sanctified also unto God. 
Our wow. sanctification is in him, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our holiness, righteousness, and redemption. But one of the words holiness is sanctification, you know, that he is our sanctification. In him, we are set apart as holy to God. Well, this has been part one of episode 36 in the book of John. We invite you to join us next time for part two of episode 36, where we'll conclude our discussion of John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.